children's choir, the greater children's choir will be singing a special song. So just a reminder to all of our families to be in your place if you can. And I know they've worked hard. They're going to be reciting scripture and singing a special song or two uh, to our church family. That's next Sunday, um, next Sunday morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke this morning, and we will spend our time looking into the Word of God in Luke chapter 2. This famous portion of Scripture, Luke chapter 2, our title of the message this morning is The Witness of Simeon. The Witness of Simeon, and by God's grace, this morning we'll be looking at uh, The Witness of Simeon, Simeon's Faith, and also this evening we'll be looking at the following passage, following this passage, The Witness of Anna. The Witness of Anna. Two precious saints of God in the Scriptures that if we're not careful... In all of our Advent reading and the reading of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke chapter 2 may be one of the most famous passages that highlights the birth of Christ, you may miss these two very special, remarkable witnesses that are in the Scriptures. And may the Lord help us to just kind of narrow that focus this morning and to kind of zoom in on uh, these wonderful saints of God who point us to Christ. So we're looking into God's Word, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Beginning in verse 25. And the Holy Spirit writes for us and says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What a promise. So verse 27, So he came by the Spirit into the temple And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." This is the word of God. Someone has said that the hymn writer Charles Wesley's hymns cover practically every part of the whole of Scripture. But two stanzas from his famous Christmas carol hymn written in 1744 certainly point out that he not only knew the Bible, but it's as if he's writing these two stanzas with Simeon, and we'll see tonight Anna, in mind. We've sung it already in this Christmas season a few Sundays ago. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Listen here. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, Born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thy own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. 
by thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. So many of these wonderful songs that we sing derive straight from Scripture. We see that this passage points us to the witness of Simeon. So we find here in Luke chapter 2, the place is Jerusalem. The setting here, the scene, is the, the temple, but specifically the court of women. This is estimated to be about 41 days after the birth of Christ. We see here in our text, Joseph and Mary are coming to the temple to offer a burnt offering to the Lord. They are following this, they're obeying the sin offering for Mary, Mary's ceremonial uncleanness after delivering the Lord Jesus, her firstborn son. And notice how Luke is careful at the beginning of this passage to record for us how they keep and are following the standard of God. For example, verse 22, according, as it is written, according to the law of Moses. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. Mary and Joseph are, in a sense, Old Testament saints following that pattern of prescription that God has given his people. And yet there's the old and yet the new in their arms as they bring him to the temple. What a beautiful scene. And we want to observe, first of all, just in, by way of introduction, how they are godly men and women. Most, Jerry, Mary and Joseph following the pattern of Scripture. But as we look at this witness, God has his witnesses. And we see that the ways of God are mysterious. God's ways are not our ways. That God does not bring, if you will, into play the witnesses of the Greeks, the Romans, at least not just yet. God has a people, always. He has a remnant. He has people that he has placed for his purposes for such a time as, as this. And so the Holy Spirit, using Luke, records for us a man here named Simeon. I want you to note, first of all, Simeon's character described for us in verse 25. The Holy Spirit says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let's remind ourselves of the backdrop here of the, the 400 years of silence prior to the, the coming birth of Christ. Israel is sitting in great spiritual darkness. They are profane. They are unconverted. Their leaders are Pharisees and scribes. They are a nation who is sitting in great spiritual darkness. And yet, here we see... In obscurity, a man, a humble man named Simeon, a woman named Anna who follows after this account, and they are living for the Lord. More specifically, they are looking for the Lord. They are waiting for the consolation, as we see here in the text, the consolation of Israel. Doesn't this encourage your heart? All throughout the scripture, when times are at their bleakest and darkest, God is always working. Here he has raised up a man who has a remarkable privilege of knowing, as we'll see in just a moment, that he will not die until he sees the Messiah. More about that in, in just a moment. Simeon's character is revealed for us here in this text. His name means God has heard. That's one rendering of it. It also means one who hears and listens with alacrity. I like that. One who hears and listens with alacrity. You can say it like this, Simeon was a man who was spirit 
led. He was a man who was in tune to the Lord in his life. Notice about Simeon here, the text does not tell us that he was a prophet. Some believe that he was, and he certainly serves in the role of a prophet in just a moment as he gives a song, as he gives witness to the birth of Christ. But the Holy Spirit does not designate him as a prophet or a priest. He is simply a layman, a common man, a faithful man. And as we see here in the text, Simeon is a man of prayer, a man of faith who walks with God. Notice in verse 25, the description of his character is first given to us in the fact that the Holy Spirit says he was a, a righteous man, verse 25. And the Holy Spirit is careful to give these designations. He designates Simeon as a righteous man, but already he has designated Joseph as a just man. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, Joseph being Mary's husband, being a righteous man. Here in Luke chapter 1, already just on the scene, is Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's parents. And they are designated as they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Here we see the Holy Spirit wants us to know that Simeon was a righteous man. What are, what are we talking about here? Being a righteous man means being a forgiven man, being a justified man, justified by faith and faith alone, declared by God to, to be justified. Remember, this is, again, the last tail end of the Old Testament economy. And God's people and his saints have always been saved by grace through faith. Listen here, Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and it was imputed to him. It was accounted to him for righteousness sake. And I just want to remind all of us here this morning that these saints of God before the cross looked forward in anticipation to his coming and were saved by faith and looking forward in the same way we are saved by grace through faith and looking backwards, looking to the cross and the finished work of Christ. And as we look at Simeon, the Holy Spirit wants us to know this is a righteous man. He's not righteous because of something he's earned. He's not righteous because he went to the temple every day. He is righteous because he's been justified by faith. He's looking for the hope of the nations. Secondly, a thing we see about his character in verse 25 is the Holy Spirit wants us to know that he is devout, uh, literally reverent, careful, or cautious. He has a devout spirit towards God. You could say he's serious in his understanding of the things of God. He is a devout man. He is spirit-led, spirit-controlled. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. Now, just a reminder, the Holy Spirit does not indwell the saints yet, but the Holy Spirit comes upon them for acts of service and guidance and leading. As we see here in our text, the Holy Spirit led him into the temple. In Acts chapter 8, verse 2, in describing the stoning of Stephen, the Bible says some devout men came and buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. Gives us an idea of the picture. You'd certainly have to be devout after your brother Stephen's just been stoned for preaching, one of the first deacons of the church. What kind of men are going to come in the middle of all this and come grab his body, dig it out? Devout men, committed men. That's how this word is used. Acts chapter 8, verse 2. In Acts chapter 22, verse 12, it describes having an excellent reputation towards both God and men. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit wants us to know that these witnesses for the Son of God are credible 
witnesses. In fact, if you remember Luke's aim in writing the two-part biography, if you will, the Gospel of Luke and the, the book of Acts to a man named Theophilus, he wants him to know that he can depend upon this account. It's an orderly account. It's a factual account. And so Luke is giving great pains and detail to, to show us exactly that. He's an example for us. He is justified by faith alone. He is a devout servant of God. Verse 25 describes he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is a man who knows the word of God, the prophetic word of God. He understands the promises of God. He understands the spiritual bankruptcy, the moral bankruptcy of his nation, of his people. And so he looks with anticipation knowing that his only hope, knowing that their only hope is the Messiah. It's not in the government. <laughs> it's not in Rome, is it? It's not in the philosophy of the Greeks. It's not in the apostate religious leaders, the Jews. And this is why he waits. He's looking for, verse 25, the consolation of Israel. And verse 25 tells us that the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is how we know he was a true believer, justified in the sight of God. In the Old Testament economy, the Holy Spirit came upon men. He came upon Saul. He came upon David. In Psalm 51, if you remember, in David's repentance, his great prayer of repentance, he asked God not to remove the Holy Spirit permanently from him. He says, God, I want to serve you. I want to teach transgressors of your ways. Forgive me of my sins. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit does here what he has always done. He brings about the new birth. He brings about spiritual conviction. He indwells believers and sanctifies them through the word of God. And at the Pentecost and in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, in this age of grace, he indwells us. Amen? The Holy Spirit comes and leads us into the truth. We are filled with the Spirit of God, and he leads us in the ways of God, the truth of God. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. In fact, three verses in a row, look with me here in our text, verse 25, 26, and 27 give emphasis that the Holy Spirit was leading this man. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. In verse 27, so he came by the Spirit. This is the leading of the Spirit into the temple for such a time as this. This is God providentially leading his servant to see the promise that he had been given, to see the Son of God. Oftentimes as we think about how the Lord leads us. He leads us by His Spirit. We're not looking for the first appearance of Christ, of course, but we are looking for the second, aren't we? He comes already. We see in this passage that we celebrate the first advent of Christ. We exalt in that. But where does our hope lie even today? Not only in the fact that He came, but that He's coming again. We look for His appearing. Blessed are all those who long for His appearing. Simeon here, we see, was saved He's sanctified. He is a devout man, and he is surrendered to the calling of God, the leading of God. Friends, what about you this morning? Do you know Christ? Are you saved? Are you born again? In the way, same way that Simeon was, looking to the promises of God, we look back to the promises of God, believing that he came as he said he would, that he died upon the cross for our sins, that he was buried in the grave, and three days later he rose again. And we place our faith in Christ and Christ alone, and we are devoted to him, his truth, his calling, his service, being surrendered to him. This is what we find when we look at this witness of the, of the Son of God, Simeon's character. Secondly, 
Looking at verse 26, we see where his confidence lies, Simeon's confidence. Now, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, verse 26, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In my mind's eye, I couldn't help but get a little carried away with this. Uh, how awesome that must have been, number one, the privilege. But men, just think about it for a second. You know, we can't eat ice cream past 9 o'clock. We can't do certain things, that type of We're worried about our health. But, I mean, if you're Simeon, you can just let it all go, right? You can just tell your wife as she's giving you that look as you're eating the third bonbon of the evening, and you, there's a whole pack more because somebody just gave them to you for Christmas, and you think, nothing's going to happen until I see the consolation of Israel. Man, we could keep going down that path. What a privilege that must have been. But what it did was it gave Simeon confidence. He had confidence that God had told him specifically the role that he would serve. This was private revelation of God to Simeon, that he would not see death until he laid eyes upon the Messiah. What an, extra, what an extraordinary privilege this was. This was just the choice of God. You could say, well, why does Simeon get to have this experience and, and not someone else? The sovereign election of God. It was Simeon and not Simon. It was Simon, Simeon and not Herod. It was Simeon and not anyone else. God delights to confound the wise. God delights in showing his glory to humble men, even shepherds, even common everyday people like Mary and Joseph, giving them the privilege to carry his son, that Mary would have the privilege of being the mother of son as the Holy Spirit implanted Christ in her womb. God delights in confounding the wise. We do things a certain way, and God does things his way. And God regularly delights in working in ways that we don't understand, showing himself to old men, old women, shepherds, carpenters, confounding the wise. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 reminds us, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. Simeon lived with confidence, not understanding maybe the whole totality of it all, but just understanding that he would have the privilege of declaring a blessing over this newborn babe, the Son of God, the Messiah. He would see the coming of the Messiah. And friends, we have the same confidence as well. Not the same that Simeon had, but in like manner, like kind, as we look for his appearing, as we look for his return. Do you ever get burnt out on the, on the world scene around us today? It's all doom and gloom. It's nonstop depressing news and the economy and financial world and all those types of things. Just a reminder, don't only look up at those times, but regularly look up and look for the return of Christ. He's coming again. And this is our confidence as well. This is what we see in Simeon. He was confident that before his death, he would see the Lord. We're confident because of the life, burial, death, resurrection of Christ. After death, we will see him. And if he comes again, we'll see him before even then. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord. He's confident not only because of this promise he's been given, but there's another reason why he is a confident man living as a light in the darkness. As Jesus commands his disciples that they should live in such a way that they're like a city on the hill. Here we see Simeon walking among this 
dark place spiritually there in the temple being a light he's confident because he is led by the spirit friends what a joy it is to be led by the holy spirit of god in consistency with the truth of god do you have that indwelling presence of the holy spirit the holy spirit is given to us in the new birth as we come to god by faith he gives us the Holy Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit comes in, and He changes us. He sanctifies us. He shows us our sins, and He makes us more into the image of Christ. He births the fruit of the Spirit within us. This gives us confidence as well. Verse 27, so Simeon, he came by the Spirit being led. He came into the Spirit by the Spirit into the temple. This is God's providential leading of his servant. He is governed by the Holy Spirit. Psalm 37, 28 tells us the steps of a good man are ordered and guided by the Lord, or literally uh, established by the Lord. And friends, as we walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 17, we sense this as well. Not that we have Simeon's experience, but we have the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives as the Holy Spirit orders our steps and leads us. Galatians 5, 17, Paul gives the clear teaching to walk in accordance to the Spirit of God. And this is what Simeon is modeling for us. Thirdly, I want you to note Simeon's celebration, his exaltation, verse 27. As he comes into the temple being led of the Spirit of God, so he came, verse 27, by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of of the law. Again, we see this theme that they're following the standard of God according to this point. Joseph and Mary are coming to offer sacrifice. We see God's wisdom and his plan for the people when the mother and the firstborn son were considered ceremonially unclean. For 40 days after the birth, she would remain at home with her baby, nurturing and growing in that bond between mother and child. We see the wisdom of God here in the prescription he gives to his people. But this is now estimated to be maybe the 41st day. And so they come out of that season and they come and they offer a burnt offering at the temple. This would be a sin offering given. Verse 24, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons would be given. This is for those who were extremely poor, who could not afford the greater offerings or sacrifices. This was provision for them. And we see that their bringing of the turtle doves or the young pigeons points us to the fact that Joseph and Mary were obedient they were devout, they were following the standard of God, and yet they were very, very poor. Again, just a point of emphasis. Verse 28 is a funny verse to me. Simeon being led of the Spirit, he celebrates, he exalts, but how does he do that? Well, verse 28 says, just the Holy Spirit tells us he just simply took him up in his arms. Some of you young moms, you have newborns at home, you'd flip out. You know, we think about new moms and new babies and the, the, uh, the protection and the, the sensitivity. And by the time the third child comes along, it's anything goes. But that first child, if you will, there's just a, it's a, not only a sensitivity and a protection, but it's, it's a, to another level. And here we see Simeon essentially kidnapping the baby Lord Jesus from Mary. I'm being facetious here. You try to enter into the context of the text, and you imagine their response. They're, they're stunned. He just simply walks up, and it's with passion. It's, it's with exaltation. The Spirit reveals to him, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. And he literally goes over, and he picks up the Son of God and worships over him. The Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon that this is the consolation of Israel. This is the hope 
of Israel. And so in verse 29, we see Simeon's song, his chorus. He begins to offer up an impromptu hymn of praise to the Lord. Now, by the way, if we were studying through the Gospel of Luke, we would see that this is one among many songs already given. In, in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we see Elizabeth offering up her song, impromptu praise, spirit-led before the Lord, giving honor to the God. In Mary, we see Mary's song. In, in chapter 1, verse 46, Mary's magnificent, if you will, and how deep it is, how doctrinally rich it is. These women knew the Bible. These women knew the Scriptures as they exalt in the prophecies fulfilled, if what God is saying is true, if this is true, then it begins to dawn on them the full weight of revelation of all of God's promises being kept in and through this baby Messiah. We see Mary's song in chapter 1. We see Zacharias responding in song, chapter 1, verse 68. In chapter 2, we see the angels saying, Glory to God in the highest and on peace goodwill towards men. Here's the point, church, is the church is a singing church. The people of God are a singing people, and the birth of Christ was celebrated with song. It is completely normal for us to respond in joyful praise as we do, because all of his witnesses, all of the Messiah's witnesses are singing in response and praise to his full divine coming and revelation. Now notice in Simeon's chorus in verse 29, he says, Lord, now you. We see that God is the focus of his worship. You are setting, excuse me, you are letting your servant die in peace according to your word. This word is a metaphor for death, to release, to depart. It's a colloquial expression that means to, to die, to decease. He is confident in the Lord's saving grace. Verse 30, he says, for mine eyes have seen your Full salvation. This is Simeon's confession of faith. It is to say, if Simeon had a tombstone there and you were to see his, his birth date and his death date, the inscription there would be, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. Or mine eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. He's confessing Christ as Lord and Savior. The reality that he has placed his trust and his hope in God. Simeon here sees with eyes of faith. He sees what others that day cannot see with eyes of flesh. He sees more than a baby boy. He is able to see the purposes of God in Christ. He's able to look at this baby and see that God keeps his promises. His eyesight as an older man may be failing, but his spiritual eyes are just as vibrant as ever. Friends, what about you here this morning? What about me? Do we live by faith? Are we able to see by faith? We're reminded faith, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Have you committed your life to Christ and you walk according to his word, resting in his promises, resting in his word? Verse 30, have your eyes, are, have they seen salvation in the same way that Simeon exalts him and declares now notice in verse 30, when he says, my eyes have seen salvation, he's looking at the person of Christ. He understands that this is the, the baby, this is the Son of God. This is the one who was promised, the one who will bruise the serpent's head. This is the one who came to live the life we're supposed to live. 
but yet we are incapable of living for we are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. He came to live the perfect life for us. He came to die the death that is my death and your death to die. And he became sin for us on the cross as the wrath of God was poured out upon him. He was buried and rose three days later, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And friends, this morning, I want to remind you, whoever, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who look to Jesus, all who believe upon Christ by faith and rest in his finished work alone shall be saved. This is what Simeon is exalting in. Verse 31, your salvation, which you have prepared. This word prepared means determined, designed, master plan. It, it reminds us and points us back to the Father who devised salvation's plan. Romans 1 describes, Paul describes this gospel, this good news as the gospel of God. This points us back to the promise, as I mentioned a moment ago, that was given in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, to Adam and Eve, and it's fulfilled here in the person of Christ Jesus. Here we see in our text the scope of salvation in verse 31. He describes here before the face of all peoples. This salvation is not only the consolation of Israel, but it is for all who believe, including Gentiles. Revelation chapter 5 says this, Every nation, every tongue and tribe will be represented before the throne of God. Revelation 5, 9, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll, and to open its seals, O God, for you were slain and you have redeemed us by God, to God, by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Verse 31 shows us the scope of salvation is not just in the sense of the consolation of Israel. Verse 32 amplifies it. It says, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. But Paul will go on to say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now this phrase, the glory, this phrasing here in verses 31 and verse 32, the glory of your people Israel, is a direct reference back to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, verse 6. And this is that passage. If you want to turn back there briefly, you can see it with me. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. Simeon knows his Bible. And he knows Old Testament prophecy, and he understands that this is the immediate, real-time fulfilling of what has been prophesied of old. Isaiah 42, verse 6, God says to his people, he says, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name. In my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. Here he's quoting Isaiah 42, verse 6, saying that this Messiah is the light to not only his people, but he is a light to the Gentiles as well. So going back to Luke chapter 2, verse 33, we see the response of Mary and Joseph to Simeon's doxology, his song. Here in verse 33, Joseph and Mary are stunned. <laughs> they're not, they don't understand who all knows who Jesus is. 
Mary's been pondering these things in their, her heart. Joseph is constantly trying to process the whole thing, and yet they're walking by faith. They have revelation given to them step by step. And here a man accosts them in the temple, snatches the baby from their hands, and gives a doxology of praise over the Messiah. They're stunned. The word is marveled at those things which were spoken of Christ. This word marveled means shocked, bewildered. They know that their baby has come to save his people. Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But according to what Simeon is saying, he's announcing that his people are far larger than they ever imagined. This child is, notice here, the salvation of God. There is no other way. It is this child and this child alone. To answer the question of Mary, did you know? She knew. She knew. Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is an exclusive statement given in expression over this baby who is the Christ child, the Son of God, God in Christ. That is through him and him alone that we can be saved. Not Christ and good works, not Christ and or Christ and anything, just simply Christ and Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 89 reminds us, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Number five, we see Simeon's confession in verses 34 and 35. He moves from a song of exaltation, and our text here this morning ends in an unusual way. He points to the truth of why the babe has come. When we celebrate the coming of Christ, to understand the full meaning of the season, we need to look to the cross. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Here in this statement, Simeon makes a couple of things very crystal clear. First of all, this child is a stone, this child is a sign, this child is a sword. Very quickly, this, these uses that he gives in this final statement here, the, the child, the Christ child, is a stone. Again, pointing back to the exclusivity of Christ and salvation, when we look into the totality of Scripture and how this is used, this word, it's Christ, first of all, is two ways. He's a stone. He's the stone in the sense of a foundation, the foundation to the house, as Jesus refers to him in Matthew chapter 7. So just very quickly, if you'll turn to Matthew 7, verse 24. Christ in the Gospels is referred to as Christ the stone in the sense of a foundation. Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. But he's also known as the stone of offense. The stone of offense. Here he will be a stumbling stone. Many will trip over him and fall. And everyone who trips and falls apart from Christ, who stumbles over Christ, will perish. Matthew 7, 24 encapsulates this for us. 
when Jesus is preaching in his Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And friends, to get to the heart of the point, the rock is Christ. Christ. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it was founded upon the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as having authority, not as the scribes. Here Simeon says, this child will be a stone. He is a stone. He is the stone, the foundation of faith, and he is also a stone of stumbling for many. Friends, don't let Christ be a stumbling stone for you. May he be your foundation. Look to him and live. Rest in him and live. Rest in his sufficient word that he is the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father but through and by him. Going back to verse 34, Luke 2. This child is not only a stone, this child is a sign. Verse 34 says, a sign to be opposed. This is the second metaphor that Simeon gives. He says, this little baby will grow up to be a man. And he will be opposed. In fact, he will be the most opposed man in all of history. It will begin with his own people. We will not look at the references because we've looked at them recently, last couple of Lord's Day mornings, where Jesus goes to his own hometown and to the synagogue and reads prophecies regarding himself. And then he says, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they desire to stone him and to put him to death. He is the sign, and this sign will be opposed. This looks ahead to his atoning death upon the cross. Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. The child will be a stone, he will be a sign, and then lastly here, this child is a sword. This work looks ahead to the cross as he speaks to Mary about what she will feel, what she will experience, what she will observe. Mary observing the full unfolding of the gruesome work of the cross. Her child unjustly treated at the hands of wicked men. The crown of thorns crushed into him. His lifeblood poured out. His cry to the Father and more than that, God's wrath poured out upon his son. Mary here observing it all at the foot of the cross. As precious as this is, it will be a sword. Verse 34, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may also be revealed. This child will be the judge of all the earth. He will be the judge of all the ages Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 reminds us, Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this Christ, this Lord, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, will be the judge of all the earth, friends. He will open the books 
everyone will give an account to him. You will either be saved by this child or you will be judged by this child. Friends, look to Christ. He's not just the innocent babe in the manger, but he's the Lord who went to the cross. He has ascended and now he reigns on high. And one day we will stand before him either as his child or we will be judged by him. Simeon, the witness, what a remarkable man. What an obscure man. In fact, when you read Luke 2, you can miss Simeon. And likewise, Anna, who follows along right after him. But here's the key. They were witnesses to his birth. What a privilege was theirs. I want you to turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we conclude these thoughts here this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, as we think about witnesses. They, they were witnesses of his first coming. But friends, we have a similar calling upon our own hearts and lives even today. In Acts chapter 1, we saw already in our text that Simeon was a key witness for all time for the consolation of Israel. He could rest in peace and wait for the Lord to call him home. But friends, our work is not done. We're not Simeon, but yet we have a similar calling. Acts chapter 1, let's begin there in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Now, verse 8, but you, my disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We, his disciples, are to be witnesses. This is the calling upon the disciples of Christ. And before you can go forth and be a witness, in the sense of being a verb for Christ, an action item, where you go forth and are a witness for Christ, you must, first of all, have experienced the power of salvation. You must experience it in your person and soul. You must be able to give a testimony that you have testified of these things, that you have experienced the new birth, and because of the new birth, you can go and bear witness of these things. As he tells his disciples here, and you shall be my witnesses. How do we know that this is true? How do we know that Luke chapter 2 is real? Well, for some of you, you've not experienced the new birth. You're not in Christ, so, so you wouldn't know. And you may take it by theory or thought or uh, whatever. But the reason we know that the first advent was real is we have experienced what is being described here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We have experienced salvation. We've experienced the new birth that is in Christ, being birthed by the Holy Spirit, witnesses to his coming. 
And because of this initiation, this beginning of the kingdom of God spiritually within us, being made a new creature in Christ, we are not who we once were. God came into our life. He changed us. He saved us. We've not arrived, but we're not what we once were by God's grace. Friends, are you with me this morning? You look back at your before meeting Christ and you say, listen, if you could have known me, the old man, and you could know me today, you think I'm bad now. <laughs> you should have known me back then. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Listen, Christ has made a difference. How can we be witness of these, witnesses of these things? How do we know his first coming was, as, it's, as we see it in Scripture, it's because we've experienced the beginning of the kingdom of God in our own hearts. And even though the full culmination of his kingdom is not here yet, we know it has begun because it's changed me and it's changed you. Some of you are nodding, so you get it. You know what I'm talking about. If you don't understand what I'm saying here this morning, that's okay. Look to Jesus. We'd love to talk to you more about that, how you can know that you are saved. You've experienced the new birth and how you can be a witness of Christ, a witness for Christ. Now, I want to close with this, friends. A witness testifies. We were to go into a courtroom today and they were to call forth witnesses for the facts. A witness has one job. A witness comes forth to give evidence, to testify of what they have clearly seen. Friends, we are witnesses of Christ. Simeon was a forerunner, a witness for Christ. And we today are witnesses for Christ. Are you a witness? Can you testify of a saving work in your life? And can you look with anticipation at his coming again? Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for these individuals in this story, this historical account, Lord, of the coming of Christ. Lord, the choicest servants that your Spirit has chosen to give evidence and to bear witness of the Christ child. Father, we stand with amazement that you would ever use any of us, any of us, for the ministry, with the entrusted gospel of Christ, that we're simply plain, broken, frail clay pots. And yet, Lord, the value is not in our own personalities or in our persons, but it's in what we possess. That is to give witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, may we not live a life that draws attention to ourselves. May we be a witness who gives testimony to the power of your grace, the power of the precious gospel of Christ. May we live with confidence as Simeon did, knowing, Lord, that you will do what you say you'll do. We can trust in the sufficient word of God. May we be led by your spirit. May we know your truth and your word. May we rest in Christ for salvation, resting in him and him alone. And, Lord, will we be obedient to speak, to tell, to foretell, to be an evangelist, if you will, of the power of your gospel of grace in our own hearts and lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.